Hey, everybody. This is Chris Joseph with the Life is a Ride podcast. I'm the author of Life is a Ride, My Unconventional Journey of Cancer Recovery. And I'm here today with Timothy Gager, Tim. Um, and I'm going to read his bio, and then we'll we'll jump into the interview. Timothy Gager has published 18 books of fiction, which is just, excuse my language, fucking incredible. He's had over 1,000 works of fiction and poetry published, also fucking incredible. 17 nominated for the Pushcart Prize. You're going to have to tell me what that is when the because I don't know what that is. His work has been twice nominated for the Massachusetts Book Award, the Best of the Web, the Best Small Fictions Analogy, and has been read on National Public Radio. Currently, a screenplay for his novel is under production consideration as a limited miniseries. Tim's last book was Joe the Salamander, came out a few months ago. He's got a best of book coming out in the next two or three months, I think, right? That is correct. So, first of all, welcome. Thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thanks, Chris. And I don't know why I'm nodding because no one can see me nodding. But uh, since yeah, this no is recording, can, I can see you nodding. But um, that's the title of a song, isn't it? No one can see me nodding. <laughs> Or wasn't it what the song was? I hear you knocking. I hear you nodding. We'll just change it to I hear you. So I was going to ask you about, I'm I'm just going to, 18 books of fiction. How long have you been writing? How many years? I've been writing seriously. uh, I would say first book came out in 1999. So that's 23 years. And what made you write that first book? You know what? I was always kind of curious about writing. My mom used to type out, you know, short stories on a Smith Corona. And I started, I typed out a few of really bad short stories before 1999. And I realized that writing was kind of fun versus being, you know, from academia or other places being told what to write and how to write it. And, uh, you know, it just really allowed me to just be creative and, you know, say and do, especially with fiction, whatever I wanted. It fascinates me. I mean, having written my memoir a couple of years ago, I learned how to do memoir, but it actually made me more envious of people who could write fiction because you do, you get to be creative and make everything up and go the way you want to go. Well, people that, you know, I just feel that people that write, whether it's memoir, poetry, fiction, if they, you know, take a little time, I'm not talking about that whole 10,000 hour theory, a little bit of time, you can, once you finish a book or you've written a manuscript, um, you can really just jump to the other genres, something which actually I'm jumping to the other genres right now, almost against my will, but. So 18 books in 23 years or so, a thousand works of fiction and poetry. Do you plan, how far ahead do you plan? Like, do you know what you're going to be writing two years from now? I know what I'm going to be writing next year. And I know what I'm going to be writing five years from now. I have no idea what's going to come out in two years. I'm kind of hankering for another novel, but I've got, you know, haven't even started the thought process on it, what it's going to be about and what I want to say in it. And how much how much time a day generally do you write? Um, I usually average about, well, an average. 
when I do sit down and write, it's generally one to three hours per sitting. And uh, so if I'm in the middle of a project, I mean, that will be one to three hours a day. If I'm not, I mean, I can go, I, it's almost as if I can take it or leave it if I'm not currently in a project. Um, but like when I do sit down and I write, it's about an hour. Um, I think you can get a lot done. and I can get a lot done in any given hour. And I was sort of trained to do that. Is it easier to write when you're in the middle of a project as opposed to when you're not sure what you're going to write about? Yeah, it's easy to write about that specific project when you're in the middle of it. Definitely, 100%. Like if I'm in the middle of a novel and like a poem strikes me, I'm going to be like, it's not easy to write that poem and I won't write it. Like there's a lot of ways writers cheat in order to not produce like, oh, I'll edit all day, or I'll write a poem all day, or I'll, you know, I'll drive to Emily Dickinson's grave, you know, but it's not sitting down and, you know, getting a book out. When you are writing, do you feel just like driven, like I have to do this, I'm going to do this no matter what? Um, Maybe, like, it's more, I think it's more of a function of me being an addict, like, uh, I sit down and I just become really obsessed with finishing it. And it's it's interesting how that sort of progressed throughout the years. It used to be like, I would start writing and be like, I'll never get to the end. And all I'd be thinking about is the end while I was doing it. Now it's kind of like um, that, you know, that, that bar across that like, you know, your 1% download, your 2%, you know, after after you experience something like that, you don't worry that you're one or 2% done. You kind of know, you almost jump in increments like, gee, I'm about a quarter of the way, I'm about 75, oh, I'm done. You know, it's it's just a really weird um, shift that you know my mind went through. So you brought up the word or the phrase that you're an addict. Can you talk about your past addiction and recovery and how that dovetails with your writing? Yeah, um, first and foremost, I can never forget that I'm an addict. Um, for that reason, I can't have like bags of M&Ms in my house. I can't have cookies in my house. I'm, I'm addicted to everything that makes me feel good. Um, so uh, how does that relate to my writing? I mean, it's, sometimes you have to embrace things like that. I mean, I embrace the fact that I get all in with various things in my life. Um, I embrace the fact that, you know, I embrace my inner addict that like, how do I finish a book? I don't even know like how I've written as much as I've written. I can look back and be like, wow, a thousand separate pieces published. And I can just be like, well, I've got no idea when I did that. It's almost as if there's a second me that's up working out and doing the writing like while I'm asleep. But I know that's not the case. Like when I'm in the project, I may or may not sleep. Uh, in terms of my recovery, um, I always wondered if I could write as a sober. I got sober in 2010. And I think at that point I had eight or nine books under my belt. Of, and I just thought, you know, I've had that kind of success. Can I still do it? What, what the hell do I have to say as a sober person? Because I've written, I've written like drunk poems and drunk pr protagonists, you know, previously. And and when I did decide to get sober, I don't think I wrote anything for six months because my mind was just 
so locked into that, you know, I need to get sober. I didn't want that to reflect on every single thing, you know, the crossover. I didn't want to have that appear as the subject of my writings. Before you got into recovery in 2010, were you actually writing sometimes while you were either drunk or whatever your drug of choice was? Yeah. Actually, I wrote a 13,000 word short story in a total blackout in a weekend. And it was like, <laughs> I was blacked out on a scotch. And it actually came out pretty interesting. Like, it was just, I don't know, I was connecting all these strange things like Edgar Allan Poe and bicycles. And it was really kind of an interesting piece. So, yeah, I used to write when I when I drank and I used to actually do that whole cliche, sit at the sit at the bar with, with like a piece of paper and just sort of write poems as I sat there and I drank. Do you think it's that fed your creativity? Um. You know, it's, I have to stop saying, you know, because you don't know. That's why you're asking the question. Um, did it feel, I think my creativity is always there. It might have suppressed some of it and it might have taken it to a different uh, place. But I don't think it made me drinking or not drinking made me more or less creative. I think I'm more productive as a sober writer. I produce more. It's more organized. It's more thought out. It's better. Talk about how writing may or may not have helped you get into recovery. Like, what what was the thing that ultimately made you in 2010 decide I, I've had enough? I'm gonna I'm gonna do something different. It had nothing to do with the writing. It just had to do with my life it was a mess. It was I was in no place that I wanted to be. I had no real good friends that weren't just hanging around because of alcohol and drugs. I had no. Um, my friendships were bad. My financial situation wasn't great. I was living in a place that I didn't, you know, what I basically, I settled for less in my life because of alcohol and drugs. And when I hit my bottom, I had nothing. I had really nothing going for me. I did not have a good, comfortable life. I had a roof over my head. I was in places I didn't want to be. I was just uh, depressed. I wanted to kill myself. Um, and I didn't think that there was any other way to do it. And if things went bad in my life, I would be like, well, you know what? I, I deserve this. This is kind of what I deserve. This is this is sort of the life, you know, as they say, that's the life for me. And uh, that's, that's all it was. And I thought when I got sober and I, when I went to a 12-step program, I felt I was punishing myself. Like I drank for... 45 years and now this is my punishment i've got mm. to go to alcoholics anonymous and i didn't realize that no this was like this wonderful new life that you know i've been punishing myself previously without even realizing have you written about your addiction and your recovery um various points on my blog and i've had some essays published and in the book that's coming out in 2023 there'll be an essay in there about it. Um, but I think my memoir, which is, I always say it's gonna be the last book I ever write. Uh, and I'm gonna write it after I retire. It's gonna be a lot about my recovery. And it's also gonna be a lot about spirituality and religion, but you know, you know, coming soon in 2030 is the way I'm looking at it. So let's, let's circle back to the book that just came out a few months ago. Um, 
Joe the Salamander, without giving too much away, what's that about? Tell our listeners what what that's about. Well, it ends and everyone dies. No, uh, actually, what well, we'll... <laughs> did I give too much away there? <laughs> so it has a happy ending. Okay, it does. You know, it's like a Shakespearean novel. Um, <laughs> a great neurodiverse tragedy. Now, actually, it follows the life of Joe from birth to age 35. And he is a neurodiverse character, or some might say autism spectrum. Um, I don't care what people say. I don't label him at any time in the book as anything. I just make him a very strong protagonist. And, um, you know, Joe suffers with um, has a lot of stimulus overload. Um, he doesn't communicate well to anyone but his mother. Um, he is trying his hardest and his family's trying their hardest to push him out in the world to be independent and to be independent of anything were to happen to them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's described as, you know, people have described it as sad, funny, inspiring. I found it risky to write. Because? Because um, I, even though I have experience working with people that are neurodiverse, I am not neurodiverse. I, I am not on the autism spectrum as far as I know, even though some people might say that the way I handle situations has some elements of that. But um, even shows that I find to be really great, TV shows like Atypical, which introduces a character uh, of such, gets a lot of criticism because, you know, this people want, the, the, the range of autism spectrum is so wide that if you represent one part of that range, someone on the other side will say, you know, you're only representing this, or you're right. representing the negatives, or you're representing the positives. So I uh, made sure that before the book was published that I sent it to various parents that had uh, children that had neurodiversity and also somebody that had neurodiversity. And I said, look, does this ring true? Is the humor that's in this book uh appear to be poking fun of, are we laughing with, or are we laughing at? And I was very, very careful with how this book was being going to be presented. And as it turns out, the publisher, the publisher, Golden Antelope, their initial reader of the manuscript was on the autism spectrum and he greenlined it to the next level. So, uh, so like that was a break, but still I'm a hundred percent sure that somebody will have you know, some issue with something in this book. And uh, I'm just going to have to live with it. You know, I, I think I did my due diligence in it. And I think I present Joe very respectfully. Um, he's attractive. He's smart. Um, he is, uh, you know, I, I think he's a character that you really want to root for. That's, that's <laughs> just to step back from your book for a second, but that's one of the interesting things about art and music is that, it's not going to connect with everyone, right? Some people are going to read it and love it. Some people won't read it at all because the subject doesn't interest them or they don't know what the book is about. Some, as you say, maybe a small group of people might actually be offended by it. Um, it's the broad range, you know. It's, take three successful artists like uh, Taylor Swift, Kanye West, and Journey, right? Just because no matter who you are, 
as a successful artist, someone's not going to like Journey. Someone's not going to like Taylor Swift. Someone's not going to like Stephen King. Someone's not going to like Shakespeare. But there are people that do like those right. artists. And you just have to, you just can't worry about who's not going to like you. No, that is true. That is true. And it, and it is so great when you do touch someone, when you find someone who does like your work or the group of people that like your work, that, that makes it all worth it. It's really nice to get those emails and responses and comments. Not that I live for likes and comments on Facebook. People that actually bought the book, read it, and said, you know, this made a difference for them, and this is really interesting, and I, I love the characters, and I love the book. And I've not received any um, negative comments since on this book at all. We all we all have egos, right? I mean, you want people to read your book. I wanted people to read my book. You want them to like it. And I think that's a healthy ego. Um, yeah, I mean, I you, I used to write for write things that I needed to like or I needed to reject, and now it's sort of like you know, it's you know, sales are one thing, but just you know reaching reaching people is you know it's much more rewarding than a you know a number like you know you broke the top thousand on amazon or like you hit a number one in a category i mean that's exciting for a day but for a day. There's, there's something about the legacy of a book you know is it going to remain staying like is it, will it have staying power people want to hang on to it in their libraries or is it going to like the good, goodwill book and that's kind of like the legacy of the book is um, really, really important to me. Absolutely. So the the limited miniseries that you're trying to get done, that's for Joe the Salamander? That is for Joe the Salamander. And, you know, we're just starting the process. And, you know, people that don't understand the process, you know, they're already congratulating and like, when's it on and what network's going to buy? And we're, we're, we're not there yet. We're like, you know, we're running this marathon to get a limited miniseries and we're just at the starting line. Like I've I've taken two steps into the race and I'm already getting a cramp. I'm <laughs> shin cramp. That's what it feels like. <laughs> yeah, no, it's tough. Um, things take a long time to get made, if they get made. If they and, do. If they do, and then you have to hope that they're actually good, right? Because the yeah. writer, the the book writer may not you may you may not have all the control, and that's a legacy thing too. Like you know, you want to have it's not just in books. You want to have that staying power, like you know, something that's something that's digitized and or filmed or whatnot. I think in this day and age, it's going to last forever. I mean, I mean, Jesus Christ, the new YouTube, this international house of Pancakes commercials from 1969 you can watch. So, like, you know, let's, uh, you know, stuff's not going to disappear. That is true. It lives on in the Internet. So you have the your, your best of book coming out in a couple of months. Talk, talk about that. I was approached by uh, my longtime publisher, Big Table, and they requested of me, can we put out a best of? And actually, originally it was called The Essential because they, they had already published The Essential folder. And, you know, which gave me great, uh, gave me great material for the introduction of the book 
where I talk about, you know, air is essential and life is essential and, you know, food is essential. And, uh, you know, the only thing really essential about me was my sperm because it birthed two beautiful children, you know, that was essential to them. So we called it best of, and uh, it's writings from 2002 to 2022. It's some essays, three novel excerpts, some poetry and some fiction. And there's, the beginning of it is an entire new book of, fit, of flash fiction and poetry, about 150 pages. And the whole thing clocks in at about 350 pages. So I just feel really, really um, complimented by having that put out by a publisher that they wanted it, that they were interested in like the history of stuff. And, you know, it's kind of like that, uh, I think when people read it, they can play the circle, what's wrong with this picture? You know, in magazines, you know, they have two pictures side by side. And like, you know, there's a way in the background, there's a guy with a hat and he's not wearing the hat next to it. And you circle it, you know, uh, or, you know, you millennials, magazines or things made of paper and you flip through them and you'd buy them at newsstands and they're not on your phone. And uh, what we did with what the book kind of does, I feel is like, what's the difference between pre-sober writing and post-sober writing and where's the line and can people see the difference i know i can hmm. yeah that'll be interesting very very interesting it it may not be obvious though right um yeah it might not be but of course some of the, the, the drunk stuff is obvious I feel that my writing before 2010 was much simple, very compact, shorter poems, um, less less use of language, per se. And uh, you know that that's all pretty pretty obvious. But uh, you know those are things, though. You know I'm grateful to have those experiences. I can always reach into my bag of tricks, and you know now be able to represent characters that. You know, I have experienced within myself 15 years ago. So, last but not least, uh, you have a every Friday evening or late afternoon, depending on where you are in this country, uh, literary series. I guess that's moving to Thursdays though in a few weeks. But talk about that. Yeah, that was something that you know I had a live dire literary series in Cambridge, Massachusetts for 18 years, and. I didn't grow tired of it, but it, I got tired of hustling, you know, finding a location, finding a place. This place is no longer wants you. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I was hosted out of the Blue Gallery for 17 years. And when they folded, I was left scrambling and had to change locations like three times in a bunch of months. And I, I ended it in 2018. And then, you know. The pandemic hit, it was 2020, and a friend of mine, she said, well, why don't you why don't you just, you know, go on Zoom and have an open mic and people can hang out. And uh, we did that once in early April 2020, and, you know, we were inside already for two weeks, and then I was like, gee, this feels an awful lot like the Dire Literary Series. So I reached out to people, I said, hey, you want to be featured? And, you know, the feature gets to read and be interviewed. And then we have an open mic and, you know, I've had some really, really amazing, like high profile superstar writers on the series, uh, including Chris Joseph. Including him, yeah. yeah. But like, you know, it's like, you know, I reached out to people that I've 
made contact with in the past, you know, the Kim Antonisios and the Nick Flynn's and the Major Jackson's and the, you know, Andre Debuses. And, you know, these are folks that like, you know, I just feel, you know, I've, I'm definitely starstruck by them. Like, I feel that they're in a totally different universe as a writer than I am, but that's just, you know, me, my head talking to me and, you know, 90% of that's true. <laughs> you know, like, you know, these are all big time folks and, you know, and, you know, and, you know, a lot of them are my friends off camera, you know, Jennifer Haig came on and that was just wonderful. And, uh, you know, there's just, it's just great to really run a series like that and have people involved and just, you know, I look forward to doing it and, just, you know, you know, shooting the shit with them. And so I'm going to put in the show notes how to find you, how to buy your books. And is the best place to buy your books on Amazon or is that through you? What do you recommend there? Um, I always recommend going straight to the publisher if, if you can, if it's a small press. Or uh, bookshop.org is a great place to go because that uh, supports independent bookstores. You can actually go to any bookstore and order my book. And Amazon is an option, too, if that's easier for you. Um, and barnesandnoble.com, target.com, um, you know, uh, walmart.com, all those places have dough, the salamanders, but whatever it's easier for you. Um, I, if, if you want the book, I don't have a great preference and I'm not going to judge you for going to Amazon, but, you know, support your support, the uh, people that bring art to your community as well. Send me those first two links about um for independent bookstores and all that and i'll put those in the show notes and also of course mention that you can really buy the book anywhere online or in person or in person yeah um tim thank you for for being on the podcast this is great thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it all right talk to you soon see you very soon